Matthew chapter 10. Wow, man, these, um, this section of Matthew chapter 10 right here, um, well, I would really encourage all of us to, to take a, a day out this week and go back and study this, um, dig into it, um, really let it sink into our hearts. This is this is one of the most important parts of Jesus' ministry at this point. He's done a lot of teaching, and he's done a lot of traveling. He's been up to Galilee, way up in the north, and he's been down to Jerusalem, way down in the south, and he's, he's healed people, and he's taught, and he's taught some really profound things. That's what we've been sharing about here in the, just in that idea of when Jesus says, follow me. He's really spent, up to this point, close to about a year now with people. And can you imagine what would be the things you would have seen, just from what we know here, Picture yourself following Jesus around. What do you think would have been the most profound thing you would have laid your eyes on if you were part of Jesus' group walking up and down Israel, town to town, and seeing what you saw? What would be the most profoundly impactful thing you would have laid your eyes on, do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Um, I think probably the most profound thing to me would be the way he treated people. Yeah. But not necessarily like normal people, but like Right. Yeah. He wasn't just nice to people. It wasn't one of those things where he was just being a good guy in town. Um, he actually was serving and meeting the needs of marginalized people. Right. Well, I'm, I'm sure I would have grown up there because not like people traveled around like they do today. And so I would have known these people who had these yeah. Ill ailments and yeah. these sicknesses that they've had for years and years. Yeah. And that he would just go up to them and just say, you're healed yeah. and your sins are forgiven. And, yeah. and I'll be like, um, where's he going to be tomorrow? Yeah. I want to make sure I'm right on the front row. You Could know? you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, hopefully, you know, as we keep our minds engaged about following Jesus, you know, I think it would be fantastic if we did have the ability to go and lay our hands on people um, and it's fascinating as connected we are uh, with social media and YouTube and the Internet and 24-hour news and all that kind of stuff. You know what we don't ever see? We really don't ever see somebody going up and putting their hands on somebody and their ailment is gone. That would be profound to see. I mean, we, we like to say that that happens today. But the truth of the matter is people laid their eyes on that. Could you imagine seeing that? You know, it's not a matter of, no, I mean, the cancer went away. I believe God does miracles, and I think he takes away disease, and I think he does all kinds of things like that. But for him to lay his hands on somebody, and they are healed, is something we do not see today. Um, and that's not a theological issue. That's just something as connected as we are. We don't see that happening today. Um, and so that would be profound to see that, wouldn't it? Especially if it was somebody that you cared about, wouldn't it? If it was somebody personal to us, we would go, wow. That's not only amazing to see, but that just melts my heart to see that you love someone I love that much. What else would you see that would have profoundly impacted you? Well, just the mix of people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, because didn't people during that time, like, cluster with their own? Like, you would see people, like, if you were this nationality or this profession you hung out here yeah. but in his group it was just like yeah. you know I just want to follow Jesus so that's all that boy that that breaks down a lot of barriers doesn't it yeah. 
is I just want to be like you. I just want to be around Jesus, okay? And what was interesting is, is even if you weren't kind of clicked together, like let's say in some of the more metropolitan areas by philosophy or philosopher or something like that, you would be just in your own nuclear family, you would be, you know what I mean? Where it was just like, no, I just kind of hang with my own family, you know, and you're going, oh, hold on. Jesus kind of broke down the barriers even of family, you know, he built a family from other families, which is pretty amazing. Okay, there is so many things. Yeah, Juliana. I was going to say, um, just not his disdain, but him going against the grain of like the religious thought and the legalism. And, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the things yeah. that were accepted at that time. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I think for me, I personally kind of get into that. I can actually be legalistic. Yeah. like rules and like regulations and for yeah. someone religious to speak yeah. directly against that would have been yeah. huge yeah and you know what's interesting is and one of the things to keep in mind is up and what's interesting is up until this point and i think this goes to what you're saying juliana is that keeps us from a legalistic mindset is his platform wasn't against judaism that's what helped him go against the grain without being the guy that just irritated the religious people it was like, no, I'm for God. Like, I'm the fulfillment of God. When, when we're for something, it's, we come across very differently than just going. Because if Jesus was just branded as the anti-Jewish guy, he'd be like, but I'm Jewish. Like, I, I am. I am still going to go to certain. Like, he went to the festivals and he went and did those things. But the way he acted certainly was very different than what the religious culture was used to godly people acting like right and so that's absolutely true so we would see these really profound things now we're at a place right here where jesus i mean the rubber has met the road jesus has done a lot of teaching and now he's saying now you go out away from me like i'm going to send you out right now because now all of that stuff you've learned you've got to put it into practice not just look at me put it into practice and it's going to get a little bit messy here. This is where Christianity and following Jesus almost like diverge because we're like the vast majority of even if just the group Christian in America would say, I don't go out to make disciples. I follow Jesus, but I don't go out and make disciples. And he's actually saying right here, no, I'm actually sending you out to do exactly what I want you to do here. Um, but if all we did here, and I, and I spoke about this last week, but I, gosh, man, I want this to sink into us. If all we are followers of the Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, we're really going to go out on our own and kind of do crazy weird things. And the ministry that we're doing isn't going to be his ministry. We've got to know all of these things that he is from chapter four and five and six and seven and eight. There is such a huge body of work. Have you ever liked or disliked somebody based on just what you know about what they do for a profession like what is a profession you can think of and you go you know what i already hate them and i know you guys are going you're trying to trick me into saying i hate somebody no 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 you get what i'm talking about did you say preacher okay your dad's a preacher and this is on recording now okay (laughs) i got you i got you hayes hoover Well done, though. I appreciate that. (laughs) But no, 
but, but there's somebody that you go, I just automatically don't like you because I know what your kind of title is. Uh, Mr. Issa from the tax IRS uh, center who came to visit me one time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I actually hated him at one time and had to work through that. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it is, you know, when you're doing your taxes, you hate the people, you know, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, is, is you really, we don't even know them. We just don't like them. Okay. So anybody else you can think of? Yeah, Julia. Right. Like that person ripped me off. Okay. Right. So the truth of the matter is, okay, Brent's got some. It is going to be good. Oh, yes. I see it immediately, very often, just when you walk in and you identify yourself. Yeah. Disdain. They see you in a skeptical light. Yeah. Salesman, defense attorneys, right? I mean, the guy, just ambulance chaser. You know, I mean, we're just name-calling people, right? Politicians. Yes. Of course, I don't hate the person. It is on recording here. It's, better. it's a good thing. Yeah, right. But, but my point in saying all that is, is oftentimes, again, we, we at this point kind of separate the discipleship in Jesus from what we would say is his mission. And Jesus never did that. Jesus is like, no, discipleship and evangelism are the exact same thing. Like me sending you out is discipleship. It's what I've been teaching you, okay? But when we read just Matthew 10, like last week, these are some really tough things. And remember last week, um, what we talked about is, is he, says, he says things like, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You know, I'm sending you out there uh, because people are going, there's going to be injustice. People are going to arrest you for no reason. And that's what I'm sending you out to. He says, brother will betray brother. And there's all of these things that when we just take that part, Christianity can become very combative. <laughs> like we forgot all the teachings before. <laughs> and we're like, brother against brother. I don't even like my brother. That's great. This gives me a reason to get in there. This gives me a reason to be disrespectful to my family. This gives me a reason because Jesus is saying to do this, and he's not. He's not. We have to read it in context. We've got to read this big picture here. Um, And we talked about this idea. He even says it's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher. He's saying, here's the whole point. Become like him. Okay? And this, this, this was hard. I mean, what we talked about last week was really difficult. It becomes more difficult as we get into this week, okay? Um, So let's read this. Let's read verse 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. All right? So if we divorced all the previous nine and a half chapters away from this, Wow, we get a picture of Jesus where we can either go, okay, well, it's Jesus. Um, let me buy into this 
even if I'm a little hesitant to buy into this because of what I hear about moms and dads and, and denying him and, and all these things. Or you could read this and go, man, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with any group that follows this. I don't want anything to do with this. Okay? We can read that any, uh, either of these ways. Okay? Um, but once again, we go back and let's kind of piece this together a little bit. And this is kind of a teaching, kind of a preaching thing. Um, but let's break this down just a little bit. What are some words that disturb you in this section? What are the words that kind of jump out at you and you're like, whoa, I don't know how I feel about that. This actually is really nice to me because um, uh, my father and I had this very discussion in Emmanuel Amy Church's um, office and um, he was about to go up to um, to preach and um, the ministers always get together beforehand to pray together and um, basically he said, "Uh, you need to join us. And so he made me join in with the prayer with the ministers because they thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. Because I was telling them about the church I was going to in Charleston and that we really yeah. wanted to, to do this. And and my father um, just really uh, didn't understand my convictions about wanting to just make sure that I was following Christ the way he wanted me to follow Christ, not the way that we traditionally followed Christ. Yeah. And um, I was supposed to go, and some sisters were supposed to come pick me up from Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stayed in the office and wrote this letter to my father. Yeah. And it was about this very scripture. Mm-hmm. And my dad actually came off of the pulpit down mm-hmm. to see, you know, and we talked in the office yeah. um, for a little while about this. And I said, Dad, you know, um, it's not that I don't love you, but I have to love God first. Mm-hmm. And, and the part that really stood out to me, and I think probably hurt him a little bit because he wasn't sure if I understood yeah. what that was saying, yeah. um, was that... Um, Against you will be, you know, it would it said that um, man against father, daughter against mother, daughter, and it, it sounded so harsh mm-hmm. as though I was saying that I didn't love him yeah. and that I was against him. But I said, I'm not against you, but I am for Christ and for God first. And if what I have to do for him yeah. makes me have to go and do something that you don't want me to do, mm-hmm. I'm still going to have to do that. Yeah. And, um, and that was really hard. Yeah. That was really, really hard because I had to prove to him, I haven't lost my mind. I still love you. Yeah. But I love God more. Yeah. Yeah. These are really, really difficult things, okay? Here's the great thing about Jesus and how he teaches is right above that in verse 31. Remember, he didn't stop for a week when this teaching was going on. He didn't stop and have seven days and then catch back up. He did something that was so valuable that might be the deepest need of all of us sitting in here, of of everyone in the world, is he says, listen, let me share with you how much I value you. Let me share what your value is to me. That may be the deepest desire of every single human being is, am I valued by anyone? What is my value? Do I even mean anything on this earth? What, like, what is my value? And Jesus actually begins this really hard section by going, never, ever, ever doubt your value. Okay? He's beginning this, this kind of point of, listen, I'm going to ask you to do hard things, but don't ever let anyone make you doubt how much value you have. 
Okay, And sometimes that's where we go crazy. We go kind of off the deep end and we start like diverging away from the teachings of Jesus because we're looking for someone or something to give us value. Whether that's a person or a job or a hobby or something like that is we want something to feel valued in. Okay, And Jesus did this and we can never like forget about those, those verses up there. Verse 28, 29, 30, 31, because he said that, and then he goes right into this, and he said, listen, guys, acknowledge me to men, okay? And that word doesn't mean, okay, what that doesn't mean is, is uh, uh, some of you may be on the same page with me here, okay, is the Facebook thing that goes out and says, you know, if you love Jesus, <laughs> then you will forward this, or you'll leave it on your wall for two hours, and that'll prove that you love Jesus. And I'm like, hey, you know what? That's neutral. If you want to do that, that's fine. Don't make fun of people that do that. Don't get mad at people that do that. Don't disparage people to do it. But here's what I'm saying. That's not what this is, is what I'm saying, okay? What this is, this word actually means think like, follow, acknowledge, agree with, tell people about. That's what this word means is, hey, when you go out in your relationships and he's saying, He's saying, I'm, I'm sending you out away from this group right here. You're going to talk to people. Whatever you do, have an answer that it's me. Have that answer for them and tell them why you think that in your life. Tell them why. That's what that one word means. It goes, if you go into the world and you start taking credit for things and you start making people think that your life is turning out the way it is because of you or because of luck or because of, you know, just some kind of cosmic favor or something like that. He's like, no, no. This is pure evangelism right here. Everyone has to know that in good times and bad times, I have walked with you, that you've acknowledged me and my teachings. And when people ask you, why'd you treat that person right? You tell them it's because of me, not because I'm just like, well, it's because I try to be a good person. And, you know, we can be good people to the end of our lives. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. Don't mistake following me with being a good person. This is so crucial that we understand this because he's saying denial essentially is when I am just ashamed to show how much I love Jesus. Okay, when there is just that I'm ashamed to even say this because because what if people feel weird about what I'm saying? Like a lot of times what we end up doing is we're in such reaction mode about how we've seen Christians treat people. We turn off every single outlet of Christ in our lives because we're like, well, I don't want to be offensive. It won't be offensive to give credit to God for how he's working in your life. It will not be. And if it is, I don't know, because because hopefully you're not saying God's worked in my life and that's why you're wrong and God hates you. But that's different. Okay, that's just being ignorant, stubborn. But this is so important. He's like, I'm going to send you out, and I want you never to be ashamed of me. In fact, I want you, could you imagine? You guys have been married exactly a year. Isn't that cool? This is going to fit in perfectly here. Adam goes to work or he goes to school, and he's like, I hope no one knows I'm married to Jessica. <laughs> we can't imagine that, can we? Oh, my goodness, I hope you can't. Okay, is you're like, I hope no one knows I got married. I hope no one knows I am with this person. That's exactly what he's saying here. Okay, because you want to know what having a wife does? It cuts down on you dating other women. Doesn't it? 
It should if it doesn't, okay? If you're going, really? I'm like, okay, there's your marriaging pointer for the day, okay? It should drastically cut down on you dating other people, okay? Almost to zero. I would even go that far if I can be, you know, radical about that, okay? You know what I'm saying? Right. We don't, but here's the thing. We don't mind radical attitudes when they, when they affect us, huh? We're like, no, honey, zero. You don't get to go out. Thank God for that because, you know, I'm like, you know, well, you know, Abby. I don't need other men trying to, like, you know. I don't need, yeah. It's enough said on that, okay. I don't need anybody. I, don't, I, I got married to end the competition. Um, but the thing about this is this here, okay. Um, when, it, when it comes to those things, we couldn't, hopefully we couldn't imagine that, saying I'm ashamed of my spouse. Like, I don't want anybody to know how, how I love my spouse. But here's the thing is Jesus actually, in reality, he's saying, listen, people should know how much you love me. Like, they should know, okay? And that doesn't mean... How many different personality types do we have here right now? Any number. I mean, tons. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become like this poetic kind of, oh, let me count the ways to how much I love Jesus. And, you know, Josh Fairchild goes into work and he's like, I just need to sing and, and do this interpretive dance to show you. You know, people be like, that's not Josh Fairchild. That's not like him at all. But it doesn't matter if you, what your personality type is. Jesus is saying everyone should know. That you love Jesus. And in fact, what Alfreda said is really interesting as well is more than anyone else. That is such a healthy principle is, is people should know I love Jesus more than anyone else. And that's really good news for everyone else. That's really good news because if I love Jesus that much and if you love Jesus that much, that will affect drastically how we treat one another. Okay. When, when Adam and Jessica got married, do you know what they stood, they stood up front and they said something to their parents? Not verbally, but they said, Mom and Dad, we are no longer yours. I love my spouse more than y'all. Did you know they said that? Did you know you said that? <laughs> Here's what hurts marriages is when you get married and one spouse or both say, no, 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 no. I will not leave my family. That hurts marriages the most because then it's like a three-way battle. Then it's a fight. Then it's like, no, I'm not leaving mom and dad to be with you. No, I'm not leaving mom and dad to be with you. No, no, no. The, the beauty of marriage is you leave mom and dad and become one. Okay? That's exactly what Jesus said becoming a disciple is all about. You leave everyone else and become one with Jesus. Okay, and then you do not become ashamed of him. You don't become ashamed of his teachings. You don't become ashamed of how he loves people. You're not ashamed of any of those things that now here's what that does not mean. That doesn't mean that you go everything everybody does that says they're a Christian. I embrace. Because there's an awful lot of things that people who say they're Christians do that has nothing to do with the ministry of Jesus. Nothing. And we've got to help people see Jesus and people saying they're following Jesus and doing it incorrectly are two distinctly different groups. Okay? That's really important for us to be able to communicate. But he says right here is, is guys, don't be ashamed. That's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Do the people that we're around in our family, 
in our extended family, in the world, in our relationships, our teachers, do they know that person loves Jesus? And when I think about my life, I'm going, I'm falling short in that. All right? Because I can do, I've, I've learned in many cases to do the ministry of Jesus without, without acknowledging Jesus. That's a very easy thing to do. And you want to know what? There are times early on that maybe you just need to do the ministry of Jesus and just do it. But at some point, people are going to have to know the reason you're doing it is because you love Jesus so deeply. Okay? Do people know that? This is a beautiful footprint. I believe as Christians, our social media footprint, if we were to go back and somebody were to string together Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, Snapchat, they strung it all together for to tell a story of who we love. What would our social media footprint say? Okay, because again, social media is totally neutral. It can be bad. It can be awesome. Okay, but what would ours say? What would ours say if somebody read that and said, and they saw all of our friends, the, and I'm not talking about like, oh man, I shouldn't be friends with that. You know what? I'm talking about, man, there's just some junk you can become friends with on the internet that you shouldn't be friends with on the internet. What would that story tell people? Would they go, that person loves Jesus? Now, understand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that you can't have like a funny little thing on there and all that kind of stuff. But if all you've got, you know, is whatever memes, 20 years of them, that's it, okay? Funny things up there, whatever the kids call them these days, okay? Bitmoji, I love that bitmoji. Okay, I only communicate in Bitmoji if I can, okay? But I want you to go back, if you're on social media, and look at your footprint. If somebody were to read your story, would they go, that person loves Jesus? Okay, he's saying, don't deny me. Don't be ashamed of me. Acknowledge me, okay? But then he says something. He says, I didn't come to bring peace on earth but a sword. Literally? Like, did he come to bring war? How do we know that biblically? In the Gospels, how do we know? That's exactly right. When, when one of his guys actually like, he said, I could use this. <laughs> and he lopped off Malchus's ear. Okay? Malchus is his name. One-eared Malchus. That's right. That's one-eared Malchus. He did. It got healed. I don't, it got healed. I don't know if he got it back. Okay, but it was healed. The hole was healed. It's like, you know. Jesus was like, hold up a minute. Don't, I'm not talking about the physical sword. But I am talking about when you follow me, there will be a line in the sand. Okay, there will be light and dark. Now, this section right here, I don't know what your Bible looks like, but learn to understand when and where New Testament authors and speakers are quoting Old Testament. Jesus, right here in verse 35, Matthew is quoting Jesus is saying something from the Old Testament, specifically Micah chapter 7. Okay, here's our job right here. When we see something like that, we've got to figure out where it is and go back to Micah 7 and read what that chapter was about. Okay? And there's going to be two things you learn. Number one, you're going to go, Micah 7 doesn't say those words. Anybody ever done that before? You saw an Old Testament in the New Testament. You saw an Old Testament thing. And you went back to the Old Testament. You're like, this isn't even here. 
You ever done that before? Okay, fear not. <laughs> okay. In the New Testament, this passage is translated from the Greek Old Testament. Okay. So this passage, Micah 7, as it was being scribed down, came and was translated from the Greek New Testament or Greek Old Testament. Mine and yours Old Testament comes from the Hebrew translation or from the original Hebrew, and then it gets translated. There is a tad bit of a difference there, okay? But you can look at it. It's not new, okay? But it's going to have different words on it, okay? We're not going to do that here. Go back and read Micah 7 because here's what... Here's what Micah writes. Micah essentially writes this, hey, listen, here's what's going on. The, the state of the world has become so, like, not following God. Like the best people you know, their heart really isn't on following God. Their heart really, even nice people, their heart isn't about God and his statutes and all these things. And he says, even your family, even in your household, the people you could go, but these are the folks I can trust above all else. He says, no, man, Here, here's the bottom line. And at the end of Micah 7, he says it, determine to follow me. Okay, that's the whole point. And so what he's saying here is, guys, I'm calling you to something um, that I can't predict even where this line is going to fall in your life. It may go right down the middle of your closest relationships. Now, some of you guys haven't had that in your life. You haven't had to sit down with mom and dad and say, mom and dad, I'm reading this. My conviction is very deep with what I'm reading. It might be a little different than traditionally you've read or our family has done. You may have never had to do that. You may have decided to become a disciple and mom and dad thought it was the greatest day in the world. Okay. Believe me. That is, that at some point, this line, if, if we are going out and making disciples, this line will be very clear, okay? And Jesus is saying, listen, remember this, but I'm telling you to follow me because this is exactly what people did to Jesus. What, Jesus fam- what did Jesus' family think about him? Crazy. You have lost your mind. Go get him. Go get that boy out there. Go get your brother and bring him back in here. He has lost his mind. Okay? But it's that idea of Jesus is going, hold on a minute. This is long term. Your family is going to see it over the long run, hopefully. They've got to see it over the long run. It can't just be this flash in the pan kind of thing. Um, but But he is saying, listen, this comes from not being ashamed of Jesus. This comes from not being ashamed of Jesus. And you know what's funny is, is Jesus, the, what he teaches us, doesn't he throw a wrench sometimes into our own plans? What, what are some things that you're like, Jesus, you're cramping my style now? What, what are some things that Jesus can get involved in? You're like, I wish you weren't really involved now. My life would be so much easier if I didn't have to worry about you in my life. What are those things? Yeah. Um. And it's not even like a huge thing, but just like this past year, and I was doing my student teaching a lot of times when the students would go to special area or something, like the teachers would congregate and either be like complaining about the students or the parents or just gossiping about other teachers and stuff. And like I wanted so badly just to be able to join in because I want them to, I want to be able to relate to them. I want them to think that like, you know, I'm trying to relate to them. But I mean, like I 
I just, I couldn't. And the times that I did, I knew that I messed up and I had to even like apologize sometimes. Like, you know, I don't know why I joined in that conversation. It really right. wasn't my place because right. like, you know, at that time it's like, oh my gosh, it'd be so much easier to build relationships yes. with these women if I could just join in on what they're doing. Yeah, right. He made social interaction so much more difficult than it should be, right? I mean, it would be so much easier. You hear gossip, you're just like, all right, <laughs> I can do that. Easy. And you're going to love me and we can gossip and all that kind of stuff. And the funny thing is, is sometimes we even go, well, you know, what's the big deal about all that kind of stuff? We go, hold on a minute. You know what? If I know you're gossiping about somebody else, you know who I know you're going to gossip when I'm not here? Me. Like this destroys relationships. Jesus is not about that. Jesus is about, yeah, it's going to be harder how I should do it, but your relationship's going to be so awesome. Because you're going to be able to trust one another. So, yeah, Jesus throws a wrench in our social lives. Because it would be so much easier to complain and gossip and badmouth and, and, and do whatever, right? Uh, dig into all of the whatever it is that the world is going on. What else does, does Jesus kind of throw into the wrench in your plans? Uh, well, I was just thinking about, especially like going into the future, just with dating and stuff, how like I can't get emotionally attached to oh my goodness you know, like it can't just be based on looks or if they like me or whatever it has to be like they have to be disciples of Jesus too. Jesus messes up dating yeah. <laughs> I love it. he messes up dating um, because he didn't date probably right is that true he's saying you know here's the interesting thing is, is Jesus says in, in, in God's word guard your heart heart there ain't anything more natural growing up than me wanting to just give my heart away to any young lady that would pay attention to me okay i mean it just was like no i just if i could in the first or second conversation like give you every dramatic story of my life yeah y'all have done that before I just, you're like, huh? I'm like, y'all know, you know, in the 80s, if I could give you a mixtape and just tell you about my heart and then tell you all the stories, <laughs> I'm going to let you wear my Swatch watch, you know, if I could do that, okay? Because here's the thing is the more vulnerable I could be immediately, the more it's like our hearts are going to connect. And then here comes God and he says, you better guard your heart. You better guard your heart, man. I gave my heart to people I look back on now, and I'm like, oh, boy, that was so bad. That was so wrong. I gave them something that the only person that should have had it was Abby and God. Okay, that's it. Bottom line, okay? But he throws a wrench into it because he says, first of all, you want to know what? Um, You judge them based on how much they love me. Not on how cute they are. Okay? Not on how, like, awesome they are. Not on how cute their Bitmoji is. You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they, it is, is, listen, and I'm going to tell you that, that everything the world tells you to do to get close, don't do. Don't be spending all your time together. Don't be alone together. Don't have sex. Don't even get close to having sex. Don't even, listen, I'm going to tell you the easiest thing to learn in any relationship is the physical relationship. No one has to get, Okay. Uh, I was going to bring you guys into this, but I'm saying on your wedding night, no one has to give you a manual and go, oh, okay, hold on a minute. This is uh, step one and step two. Step No, you don't, have, you don't need that manual, okay? But you know what manual we do need? We need to learn how to communicate and appreciate and love and protect, and all that stuff is what we do need. And so, yeah, by, going all the way back to Hayes' point, 
Okay? Jesus will throw a wrench into our dating life. Okay? That's just, that's just the truth. But he's saying, you want to know what? Do not be ashamed of me. All right? I'm telling you to do this, and you will. You may not even understand it, but I'm telling you. But, but when you're in the dating mode, you're like, it would be so much easier if I didn't have to worry about all that. It would be so much easier. And the fruit of that is a family unit and a divorce rate that is astronomical. Okay? I mean, we have proven, if nothing else, we have proven that, that dating outside of God's way shows that you are headed for a divorce. You go, well, no, no, no. There's no there is no studies to show that. More than half people get divorced. Anything else that we found out something would 50% of the time, more than 50% of the time would happen, we would not do it. But we keep trying. And God's going, no, no, no. Slow down on the physical. Slow down on the giving the heart. Slow down on all that kind of stuff. Slow down on just chasing each other around like crazy people. And learn to love well. Boy, that's hard to do. Good point, Hayes. Way to wrap all that up just like that. <laughs> what else does God? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we are hitting the big ones. <laughs> you are messing up my finances. You know what's interesting? In the first century, um, Christians were, first, second century, were actually kind of seen as very similar to today, just like unyielding, just not with the times, not getting it, and really in a few specific ways. Number one was their stance on the sanctity of life, okay? Because in the first century Roman Empire, life, it, there wasn't, it wasn't just abortion. If you didn't want the child, you'd go and throw the child into the, away from you, right? Can you imagine that? Like, I'm just going to, I don't want a baby. I'm not going to have an abortion, but I'm going to go leave the child out here in the woods till he dies, okay? That was acceptable, okay? The Christians were like, heck no. We are about life, okay? The other thing they were about was, was purity, was in the, in, the, in the Roman Empire, it was very common for um, your, the men to have a wife for procreation and a friend for recreation. How'd that fly in? How would that fly in the household today? You're like, you're for babies. I've got another little woman out there, and, she, and, and, and that was, everybody was like, woman, women, don't get a bad attitude about that. That's the way it is. And the Christians were like, no more. And you know what society said about them? They're like, they're out of touch. They don't get it. They don't understand. They're so judgmental about this. And the third thing was they were amazingly generous. The poorest were generous. They were generous with serving people. They were generous with their money. They were generous with their things. They were known for that. And so you're going, Jesus, if I wasn't all about following you, I'd have more money. I'd have a 401k. I'd be, I could focus on just getting money and being rich because rich money makes you happy. Things make you happy. I can buy a better car. And what's interesting is that sometimes we can go, oh, well, let's kind of piece together what that looks like, and he's not really meaning. No, 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 no. 
people should know those disciples are so generous. Are so generous. Okay? And so, yeah, he throws a wrench in our finances. You know, have you ever thought about that? Consider others more important than yourself. Have you ever been tight on money and somebody needed something and you're like, I'm going to do without to help them? That's what Christianity is all about. I'm doing without to help them. I'm, I'm taking a step back to help someone else in need. Okay, that's where he really starts messing with us. And this is the part where it's very easy to go, I don't know if I want to follow that guy. I don't know if I want to follow that guy. Okay, and then he goes on and he says, listen, here's the thing is, the passionate love that you have for me. Jesus is saying this. The passionate love should go well beyond mom and dad and brothers and sisters and all that. Be so passionate. And this is all done in the context of Jesus sending us out into the lives of non-Christians. He said, that's what they should see. When y'all come together in your community, that's just going to be like overflowing like that. We shouldn't even have to say anything about that. But he's saying this in the context of go and make disciples. And be known for these things. And Jesus is going, I'm, I'm probably going to throw a wrench in there. But love me so deeply. Have you ever thought about it? Think of the people when you were in high school you had a crush on. But you thought you were in love. You ever had that before? Don't nod your head. It's too young. <laughs> it's too early. You know, you've had that before. You've had that before. <laughs> Jennifer's had that before. Ben's had that before, where you were positive. I love this person. And I would do anything for them. I would give up my friends. I would give up my social life. I would give up things. I, you know, my buddy's going to do this fun thing, but I'm not going to go do that. I'm going to give all these things up. And then over time, something begins to happen. You start going, I don't know. I kind of like going hang with my buddies. I kind of like, like, hold on a minute. That, no, I'm going to go and do this now. Like, ugh, it's just not the same anymore. That's what a crush does. It's a crush. After over a while, you're like, I'm not going to sacrifice anymore. But when you're in love and you're married in love, okay, you're like, I will always sacrifice for that. Always. Love is like, I don't care what you ask me to do. Now, I know in the bounds of righteousness, I mean, we're not talking about going and killing people, okay? I will sacrifice for that. That's the marriage. That's all of these things. And this is what Jesus is saying. You've got to love me this much, this passionately. It becomes very painful that trying to live in the world and in Christ. How many of you guys here have ever seen the Brady Bunch? Okay, listen, I'm just going to, I'm going to post this up because the Brady Bunch is a classic American television show. And Peter Brady, one episode, he found out that he had a twin. And so they both were like tricking people. And they both set up, his twin called him up and said, I have a date that I have to cancel. Can you go out on this date for me since you're my twin? And Peter's like, well, I have a date that night. And he's like, but I can juggle that. And so the one day came in and he brought her into the living room on one side of the house and she's like dancing disco music. The other day was waiting for him to go on a Halloween masquerade party. So he had to run back and forth putting on his costume 
And then he'd run in and like have a couple minutes with the girl dressed up like Dracula. And then he'd go and peel all the stuff off and go disco dance with the girl in the, in, in the other room, kept going back and forth. But then what ended up happening is, is he stopped forgetting to take certain parts of his costume off. So he would go into the disco girl, and he'd have, like, the vampire teeth on still. She's like, what the heck is up with that? You know? And then he'd go. And, and, and what ends up happening is, and this is just somebody from the 70s and 80s, this so much can be like the Christian life. Where we're, we're running back and forth between the world and Christianity, and at some point you stop forgetting to take off what you're supposed to take off. And you end up acting a certain way in the wrong group. And by the end of that episode, Peter Brady was just like, I'm finished with all this. I have learned my lesson. Okay? Let's not let that be who we are as disciples. We're at work and church and family group and all. We're running back and forth trying to be something else instead of just going, we passionately love Jesus. Like, I want everyone to know why I do what I do. Like, there is, it's welling up inside of us.